I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Dare I say it? Is there a season change upon us? This summer, if I can call it that, has been a summer of two halves. Here in the southeast, where I live, near Wisley Gardens, it's been remarkably wet, one of the wettest summers I can remember. But elsewhere in the country, it's been dry. Our team at RHS Bridgewater, for example, have had most unusual weather for the northwest. In my garden, some things have done really, really well, like runner beans and cauliflowers that just love a gorgeous bit of summer rain. On the other hand, things that love sunshine like sweet corn and my bedding plants have not done so well and my potatoes and tomatoes have suffered from blight. But that's the way it is in gardening. Every year I start out and I think this is going to be a typical southeastern summer, dry and hot. And sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. So even the most well-intentioned gardeners are at the mercy of Mother Nature. Despite that, we're going to arm you with the knowledge and advice to have an autumn that'll make all your friends green with envy. We'll hear from RHS gardening advisors about how to propagate your favourite plants, how to deal with tomato blight, which seeds to sow now to ensure bursts of spring colour, and lots more besides. Let's get growing in this week's edition of Gardening with the RHS with me, Guy Barter. I always find it's good to start with a list. So let's get our notepads out with advisor Becky Mealy. This time of year, things can be running up a bit out of steam and sometimes this is what affects the autumn colour. So sometimes when we have a really bad autumn and things are looking a bit brown and crispy rather than red and glorious and orange... This can be because we've had quite a stressful long summer. So by helping to have a healthier, happier plant, you will have a better autumn colour. So my first main tip is mulching. You know I love my mulching. So mulching helps the plant manage its water better. So it retains the water when it rains and it helps it through the dry times. So always for all your trees and shrubs, really, you should mulch them and that helps you give a nicer, brighter autumn colour from those healthier plants. Autumn is not just about trees and shrubs. It can be about flowers. There's some beautiful flowers that give you a different texture, different colours that can light up the autumn colour too. Hydrangeas are great. They've been looking amazing all the way through the summer. But also I like how every day is different for a hydrangea in the autumn. My favourite is hydrangea quercifolia. 
that has amazing deep red autumn leaf colour, but also you have a real big white flower as well to enjoy at the same time. Abelia grandiflora is another favourite shrub of mine. It's an evergreen, but this is a time of year when it's flowering and looking great. And don't forget about Ceanothus autumnal blue. That's obviously an autumn flower in Ceanothus and brings a nice splash of blue colour to your garden. Where would autumn colour be without autumn coloured trees? I love my deciduous trees. I like the, the fact that they could do something in every single season. And autumn is the best time to enjoy trees, I think, and best time to plant trees. One of my favourites is ginkgo biloba, and that has a nice butter yellow in the autumn. Sorbus Joseph Rock also has a great colour and berries. It's a bright red, and then you've got the contrasting yellow berries. It's so such a striking little tree, so ideal for a small garden. And then some of the bigger trees, like Parotia persica, you know, they're, they're a huge big tree, those ironwoods, but there are some smaller forms. Persian spire is a smaller form of Parotia persica, and that's kind of more of a street tree size, and you get the absolute diverse colour that the Parotias bring, but then also you've got those lovely little star-like red flowers that come out in the spring. It's a very nice tree. Definitely look at that one. So if you can... Try and see if you can find these trees or shrubs or your hedging plants bare root. Having them bare root, you're reducing your plastic. Autumn is a good time for checking your plants before they go to sleep for the winter. So it's kind of any diseased leaves, getting rid of it and maybe just giving everything a good old check over. Also, this is a real good time for getting a handle on weeds because a lot of weeds, they're quite canny. They still keep growing well into the winter. So getting them under control in the autumn and then giving them another hit in the spring can really help get on top of some quite tricky weeds. I love the smell of autumn. That's one of the things that it's just one of those things I have to each year have that fix of autumn smell. But also, it's not just you that enjoys your garden, it's the wildlife. So having, always having something in flower in your garden is supporting your pollinators and bringing interest to your garden. I'm very keen on my birds to have in the garden, so I always have fruit there for them and provide for them um, with the water and extra bird feed in the winter. So it's it shouldn't be a room for just for spring and summer. It should be an, a year-round room for you to enjoy. Thanks, Becky. There's so much to be getting on with outside, sometimes it's easy to forget about our indoor greenery. Houseplant lover and Wisley horticulturist Alex Young is here to make sure we don't forget with his guide to indoor plant propagation. So propagation is taking a cutting from a plant and making it root to form another plant. It's, it has many different benefits for the plant and also for yourself because you've got more plants. <laughs> for the actual plant itself that you're taking cuttings from, it can encourage it to bush out more so you get more of a dense plant, encourage new growth points on the plant. It's just a really good way to sort of, I guess, bulk up your collection. 
and it just gives you loads of plants that you can offer to family, friends. I use a plant as an example, a common house plant that we all know of, a Monstera deliciosa, or commonly called a Swiss cheese plant. So on the Monstera, you have the main vine, and you can probably see some roots sort of growing off the stem that probably aren't in soil and they're just sort of hanging around. So if I was to propagate uh, Monstera, I'd take a cutting on that vine just below the, the roots, so what we call the internode, which is the bit in between both sets of nodes, root nodes. And then from then, you can actually put the cutting with the roots straight in a glass of water. You can put it straight into soil. You can put it in moss, um, whatever way you choose to propagate your cuttings. Other ways to propagate, I mean, with succulents, you can just pluck off some of the leaves, place them on top of a pot of soil and keep not completely wet, but partially wet just to sort of encourage that root growth and in a matter of weeks those leaves will start sending roots down into the soil and then that will create florets and then new plant grows from there. So a plant or a group of plants that I'm really interested in at the moment are jewel orchids. It says it in the name, jewel, like they are literal tiny little gems that have the most amazing foliage, like incredible. So one of my favorites is uh, Makodi's Sanduriana, and it's got like a, a lovely sort of orange leaf edge with like a black center, and it has almost like silver lightning bolt veins through it, and it's the most amazing thing. And you can get them in all sorts, all different types, so, yeah, there's Makodis. There's one of the more common ones that you can find in most garden centers, which is Ludizia. Again, they are just absolutely incredible. I know I'm not doing it any justice how I'm explaining it because I'm like thinking of them in my head and I'm like, yeah, they're so cool. But they are native to sort of Asian forests where they'd be creeping along sort of the wet, humid ground. So you've got relatively low light and because of where they're from, you'd have to up the humidity so they're really good for like terrariums up that humidity so it grows well when i first saw one it was actually in my local garden center again i bought it there and then just because i was like wow what is this thing um, and actually the first one that i bought ludicia discolor which is like a velvety uh, black leaf which has like red and white veins i actually killed it at first because at the start you just sort of dive in you think yeah water it water it loads of sunlight um, but it just wasn't the case um, so after I killed the first one I just set out on a mission and I was like no I'm not going to kill the next one and then I've had my Ludizia now for about four years now and it's really sort of bulking out taking loads of cuttings from it so if you want any cuttings let me know <laughs> um, but they are honestly the cutest, beautifulest, amazingest things ever. Thanks, Alex. This time of year is often all about cutting back and preparing for the winter, but we can still get excited about new plants by getting some seeds in the soil. 
For example, I'm going to sow some lettuces and spinach and they'll be ready for the difficult period in April. Later on, I'll plant onions, garlic and shallots, and which always do very well here in my sandy soil. And finally, I'll finish off just before November with some broad beans. I haven't made my mind up about spring flowers, though. So for more ideas, let's join advisor Lee Hunt to explore how to get some early displays next year. Hello, I'm Lee Hunt. I'm Principal Horticulture Advisor at RHS Garden Wisley. And today I'm in the Country Garden, which is well known for its bold displays of beautiful perennials. But there's quite a lot of annual things in here. Now, we often associate sowing annuals in spring. So obviously spring is a time, a great time to sow seeds, but autumn can be a good time to sow certain things. And the things I'm beginning with are hardy annuals. Think of things like pot marigolds or calendula as they're also known. Things like nigella, love in a mist. That beautiful Cerinthi major which has those kind of purplish blue flower bracts and glaucous foliage. All those are things that we can sow now They won't necessarily do anything this year, but next year, because they'll be already quite established little seedling plants, they will flower much earlier. So if we sow them in spring, we could expect them to flower in about June. If we sow them now in September, we can often expect them to flower two to three weeks earlier. Depends on the conditions, but often that means that we can start enjoying an earlier display. And I have to say, as now, A lot of the spring displays often go earlier because we seem to get warmer springs. Having this mid-plug of plants that give us a bit of extra colour at this time is quite useful. And it's funny because when you go over to France, um, somewhere like Moni's Garden, you will see these individual kind of mid-season plantings as well, which is really useful. A lot of them are really simple to sow though because they they do germinate so readily, particularly something like calendra. It's so easy that you can lightly fork over the soil, firm it back down so I often, unless it's a very heavy clay soil, just tread it lightly with my boots, rake it flat and then you can scatter the seeds into those. Often I'll create a little area of those but if I've got a lot of weeds coming up I can also just push the cane into the soil to make a little drill. Again about kind of um, six to eight inches apart and then just very thinly scatter those down the drill. Cover the seed back over the soil when I scatter all I do is just lightly rake and that firms them into the ground again. Water them and that will settle the seeds. We've had a lot of rain this summer but as soon as we come to do a task like this you can guarantee it'll dry up so make sure that they stay nice and moist. The seedlings will germinate pretty quickly a lot of these within one to two weeks and then the only thing you need to do is just keep an eye out for the weeds and pull those out. Something like the Cerinthi, you can sow them outside direct at that time, but they're very big, easy to handle seeds. I'll often just put those in a seed pot, one that's usually shallow and wider, but you can use anything and just germinate them in there and then transplant them out a few weeks later when they're big enough to handle. So that's hardy annuals. Another thing that's great to sow at this time of year, if you've tried a meadow this year, or indeed if you've got a meadow and the grass is growing just far too strongly and out-competing the wildflowers, once it's mown, if you really rake that ground and fluff up a little bit of soil at the base of the remaining grass, 
then you can sow yellow rattle. Uh, yellow rattle is a parasitic plant or a, a partial parasitic plant on grass and that will sap some of the vigour from the grass. And we can often see when you have got yellow rattle established that where it grows, the grass is shorter and where it doesn't grow, the grass is longer. So by introducing this now, it should start to germinate and start to act on the grass by next spring. So by next year, hopefully you'll have a more better balance between grass and wildflowers, i.e. more wildflowers. Finally, of course, it's vegetables and it's getting quite late in the season. But we can still think about growing quick maturing things like salads and you know, if you've got a spare gap in the vegetable garden, it's easy just to, again, fork over, rake the soil, take out some little drills, and then finally sow some seed along that. You'll get some little leaves to harvest into October. By that point, if, particularly if you live in the north, think about putting over some sort of cloche or fleece just to keep it warmer, because you'll still be able to pick, hopefully, until the end of October. If, however, you want a longer crop, sow it in pots, Bring that either into a cool greenhouse or even a porch and they will crop quite happily. So plenty of stuff to get on with as usual in the garden but it's nice to be looking forward as the season winds up to next year. Lee is just one of many gardening advisors we have on hand to help RHS members with queries about everything from pesky pests to infected foliage. One of the things we've had a few of recently is clubroot disease of brassicas. It's an annoying disease that makes the roots form into great big clubs. And when you have a warm, wet summer, as we have had here in the southeast, the disease tends to be rife. Unfortunately, it's quite hard to control, but the simplest and the cheapest method is to lime your vegetable plot to raise the pH. My way to deal with this is to pop a handful of lime in each planting hole when I'm planting my cabbages and Brussels sprouts and other brassicas in the spring. To help you out with any gardening problems you've been having, we've assembled a team of our advisors today. Hello, my name's James Lawrence. I'm, I'm standing outside the new building at Hilltop and I'm joined by Nikki. Hello. And Marcia. Hello. And we're here to answer some of your questions. My ripening tomatoes are developing brown sunken spots and they seem to be spreading onto the leaves. What is this and what can I do to get rid of them? So obviously without the photos, it is difficult to tell exactly what the problem is. If it is blight, Nikki, what would you recommend? If the tomatoes are outside then it is more likely to be blight and it's windborne so it can spread quite quickly unfortunately there's not a huge amount you can do and if it's severe if you've only got one plant that's got it it's best to destroy the plant before it spreads to other plants which I know sounds a little bit drastic but it can quite quickly spread and ruin your whole crop and possibly your neighbours if you're on an allotment so it is the best thing to do. It's less likely to be blight I think if it's in a greenhouse situation. And what about any potentially slightly more resistant cultivars? There's quite a few cultivars that are resistant to blight or reasonably resistant to blight. If you want looking for F1s, cultivars like Furline, Mountain Magic seem to have reasonable blight resistance. For outdoor growing, Grishovka, Stupice, Aurora, Muscovitch are all quite good outdoor varieties. They're quite weather resilient anyway and they seem to have a reasonable degree of, of blight resistance too. And now for our next question. 
Question that's coming from David. What's your advice for picking the right size pot for plants? Nikki, what's your initial thoughts? It does very much depend on the plant and whether it's going to be permanent planting in containers. But a general rule of thumb, you want it to be a few centimetres larger all the way around than the pot it's currently in. But with bedding plants, for example, if you're putting them into hanging baskets, you tend to put them much more closely planted. But if it's something that's going to grow and mature each year, then just a few centimetres larger than the container you've bought it in. Mainly because if you put it in too large a pot, they tend to get overwatered because you've got a lot of compost there in comparison to the root zone that the plant has available to it. Yeah, so picking up from that point, I would say that, as Nikki says, not only is there a risk of overwatering in large pots, some plants will actually react by laying lots of roots. So the energy goes into root production to fill the pot. And as a result, the top growth, the flowers and the foliage, can often suffer as a result. And then we get people sending in questions, you know, why is this plant not doing so well? And it's not always because it's not being fed. It's sometimes because it's just filling the pot with root rather than putting on top growth or flower. Marcia, did you have anything else to add? Just a little bit in that it depends on the expected growth rate of the plant. So certainly with some house plants, say for example like Aspidestra, which certainly mine doesn't grow very quickly, if I ever did feel I needed to pot it up, I'd only pot it into, like Nikki said, just a pot very much, just slightly bigger. Whereas something like if you're going to plant out or pot out a canna for the summer and put it into a container you know they bulk up really quickly so obviously you can give that a bit more space because you know it's going to fill out quickly. And what about the shape of the pot Nikki does that influence choice? It certainly should do there are some beautiful pots where the neck of the pot is narrower than the middle of the pot and once you've planted the plant often if you need to pot it on into another pot or it dies you can't get the root ball out and you have to smash the pot so do bear that in mind because it can be quite heartbreaking to smash a very expensive pot because you couldn't get the plant out and we have a question about yuccas my yucca plant has lots of white and black dots on the leaves and some of the leaves are turning yellow are these scale insects and how do i get rid of them and what is the best way to prevent them from coming back Marcia, your thoughts on that? I think if the spots are both sort of like a black and white circular ring in one spot, then it's quite likely just to be a leaf spot, which is a fungal problem that yuccas often get. It's sometimes if the conditions are very wet, but they are just sort of very prone to it anyway. It tends to occur on the lower leaves, and usually any leaves turning yellow tend to be sort of lower down anyway. So with yuccas, whether they're outdoor ones or ones that you're growing as house plants, usually I would say certainly this time of year you'd be looking to remove some of the lower leaves each year anyway and hopefully that will solve the problem. I'm not sure if it's scale insect or not. It certainly sounds a bit more fungal than scale insect to me, but Nikki, if it was scale insect, what would you be looking for and how might you treat that? If it is scale insect, you'd need to be looking on the underside of the leaves and they tend to leave little scales They're not very big and you can scrape them off with your fingernail. They're quite difficult to spray with anything because nothing really gets through their shell. Yuccas aren't hugely prone to scale insect, but another thing you could do, even if it's a house plant, if you think it has got scale insect, is put it outside. That very often 
gets rid of them and they'll be quite happy outside in the summer and actually it might even do them quite a lot of good. And yuccas as houseplants, one of the common things that we see, not just with yuccas, is if you water them and it's in a pot cover, the water drains into that cover and sits there. And if the yucca's roots are then in contact with that moisture for too long, certainly fungal diseases will be more prone to happen. So if it's an indoor plant and you're watering, make sure you either empty the pot cover or the saucer of any surplus water. So that's it. Thanks for all the great questions. And thank you to Marcia and Nikki. And we'll be back soon with more of your questions. Bye. Goodbye. If you want a question answered yourself, then just email us a recording of you asking it to podcast at rhs.org.uk. One final thing before we finish. If you're having any issues with Whitefly, you might be interested in research that's currently happening at Stirling University. PhD students are trying to work out if whitefly in the UK are showing early signs of evolving resistance to biopesticides, such as the insect-eating fungi that commercial growers use and the parasitic wasps that gardeners often introduce into their greenhouses to control whitefly. They're asking gardeners to fill in a questionnaire and post them leaves that have whitefly on. For all the essential details and addresses, take a look at the episode notes for this show. And that's it for today. Lots for me to be getting on with. I'd better get harvesting all those runner beans and making chutney. Walking down the path in my garden, and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine, and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.